Hello and welcome to our podcast. We're calling it The Hunch because we believe you get the best ideas from people when they're relaxed, when they're with friends. And rather than giving you the corporate line, they give you their best guess, their gut feeling, their hunch. I'm Mark Schmid, and in each episode, I'll be talking to someone who can give us the lowdown on something that will transform their sector, our society, or even our everyday lives. Today, I'm with Talk Talk Group CEO, Tristia Harrison, learning about how having contented, engaged employees can translate to customers and why a hyper-local focus incubates great ideas that can eventually have impact nationwide. So I'm here today on The Hunch with Tristia Harrison, CEO at Talk Talk. Welcome, Tristia. Hello, Mark. Very glad um, to be here. Thank you. We used to work together for many, many years, a little while ago. And of course, not everyone listening today will know as much about Talk Talk as I do. The business, of course, has changed greatly in the last few years. So how would you summarise Talk Talk to people today? Great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. So first of all, as you say, just to introduce myself, I'm Chief Executive of Talk Talk Group. I've been in this job for five years now, coming up to a five-year anniversary. And as you say, I've been in and around the organisation really right from the start. And just to give people that are listening a bit of context, we came out of the Carfem warehouse. We were a sort of entrepreneurial pipe dream, I guess, an idea. And our real sort of promise when we launched in 2003-ish, Mark, you'll probably get the dates exactly right, mm-hmm. was to be the sort of true affordable provider of broadband services. And, and funnily enough, and I often say this to the team, you know, our sort of mission, vision way back then is pretty similar as it is today. And as I'm sure we're going to come on to talk about, you know, connectivity and the internet is more essential in people's lives than it's ever been. But why would you ever want to be ripped off for something that's so essential to us all and I think really you know way back when all those years as you see as you know there's been many chapters since then I think that overarching mission to be the affordable challenger in a very crowded sector is, is still true today. I know and it doesn't seem that long ago but in terms of context of, of how our everyday lives and our business lives have changed it was in 2006 when we launched Free Broadband And then broadband or high-speed internet access was still seen as a luxury or discretionary. And you could still go about your everyday life having little or no internet access. An awful lot of people did. And indeed, when when we used to speak about it, people used to regard it as a nice-to-have in some ways. And of course, as you say, it's now absolutely essential. Does does that feel like... a real responsibility on the business now, providing a service which is integral to every everyday life and business life. I think you're right. You know, we've certainly ridden the wave of the surge of take up of internet services across the UK. That said, I think the other big lesson that we learned was having come out of retailers where the thing that you worry about is people, is footfall. Obviously in the old days it was coming through stores, but increasingly coming online. The minute we had a scale 24-7 network, you know, we, we literally had to serve and support customers all day long, all night long. And that really changes how you think about things. Um, 
And also we didn't just offer connectivity, we offer we offered landline services as well, which obviously are very essential in people's lives. But yeah, I mean, the point is, is true. It, it is more essential than it's ever been. The pandemic has only sort of accelerated that really. So we've seen 40% increases in data usage from before sort of COVID hit the UK. That shows no sign of slowing down. Increasingly, the majority of the traffic is video. So at any point, at any time of day, over 70% of all traffic is video and that is increasing and that's YouTube and it's Netflix and it's Microsoft Teams and it's Zoom. So it's not just streaming films and catch up telly. It is also about how people work, how people educate their kids. It's everything has moved to video. In fact, for the last two years, you know, we've all been talking to relatives online on FaceTime, on WhatsApp. We've always used to talk about it, Mark, didn't we, with, that connectivity was the same as electricity, gas and water. I think I could safely now let everyone know it absolutely is. <laughs> and that's how customers see it. In terms of the number of devices that your customers typically have connected, I'm just looking around uh, uh, my home, just doing a quick mental calculation, but it must be a significantly larger number than it used to be. Oh, yes. I think at last count, the average home would have about 15 devices. And of course, given that's the average, you've got lots with a lot more than that. Um, and really, I think, you know, this is this is called the hunch. <laughs> and I'm sure you're going to come to this at the end. But, you know, the power of the sort of smart home, wherever you live, we all have multiple, multiple devices. So mobile phones, increasingly sort of smart energy devices to manage heating and water electricity etc we've all got you know multiple connected televisions people increasingly are just watching screens without the need for set-top boxes and evolving on how we think about things what we're really here to do is fix the nation's wi-fi because you know for most homes they have pretty good speeds actually the uk's been okay on, on offering great speeds that's one of the reasons why all isps actually all large broadband businesses did, did okay through the pandemic what people really worry about is their wi-fi you know how often is it that you speak to teenagers or even young kids and they go what's the wi-fi password and none of us want to see the sort of buffering whirring doom of you know contended or slow internet and i think as we step forward that's the real sort of exciting territory to not only have a fantastically fast increasingly fiber line coming into any size home but also really brilliant, really brilliant Wi-Fi. Because then in the end, it is like your electricity. Then you can do whatever you like. You can watch whatever you like. You can game, you can homework, you can homeschool, and you simply don't have to worry about it. So no doubt it's essential. People are devouring more and more of it. You know, your service is everything uh, for entertainment, but also for running business. At the same time, you have to invest hugely in your network and in your service. We're at a crunch point, though, in terms of household budgets, aren't we, you know, and, uh, and affordability. And Talk Talk has always been, as you say, that value champion. How do you reconcile the investment needed with that commitment to keeping the prices low? Well, I think there's a number of things that are happening around at the moment in the market. The first thing is quite technical in some ways. We are now seeing competition in supply for the fibre lines that go into people's homes. So in the old days, it was only ever open reach that we used to connect to. And the big change, and this is really important in any market, is a thriving, vibrant 
competitive landscape. And, you know, for the first time really ever in our sector, in the fixed broadband sector, you've got major players offering connectivity. So there are businesses, there's one called City Fibre Holdings. Um, you've got a whole number of smaller, big infrastructure, you know, smaller infrastructure builds regionally spread that are building fibre out in particular parts of the country. And actually the capital available for these sorts of programmes is significant because people can really see an obvious return. There is also, you know, Virgin Media have made no secret of the fact that they would look to wholesale their network um, to providers such as us or smaller ISPs. So that's the first thing is that we are seeing a competitive environment and that really, really helps some of our investment decisions. The second thing is that we've all, you know, my competitors, this is true too, but TalkTalk Talk has made very material investments over the last three or four years in the network. And what that really means is upgrading it to big 10 gig circuits, making sure that we never slow you down at peak times, making sure that the network is uncontended, basically. Um, and we need that for two reasons. One, because of the huge usage, as I've already talked about, amongst um, consumers, so residential homes, but also because our network is built for businesses. And so we have to have very, very high, high bandwidth, fast speeds to be, to be able to support our very significant and growing B2B business. So, so that's the reason. In addition, as you rightly say, you know, inflation is the highest it's been for many, many years, as we all know, up at over 5%. You've got energy prices increasing. Um, and of course, you know, to some extent, telco prices are increasing in line with this usage. Now, as the affordable provider, of course, you know, we can increase our prices and we have to do that from time to time. But also the gap between us and our competition actually widens. So we still make enormous savings versus the others. And it's interesting uh, that you you uh, one of the previous one of these podcasts was around social mobility. And, you know, it's a thing we think about very, very carefully to make sure that we literally, I mean, our, our strapline is for everyone, that we have accessibility and availability right at the heart of our of our propositions. But I think for a, for a good proportion of, of the UK, things are going to get tougher. Mm. I think it's really important that all of the, all of the big providers recognise that. And you mentioned accessibility, thinking back, and it's amazing, isn't it, when you think of dates badged to things, uh, and it seems so futuristic, when we used to uh, work with uh, Martha Lane Fox on Race Online 2020. And of course, now there are many more people who are able to have access because of affordability and also because of infrastructure. Do you see that there still is a section of society that is not digitally literate or not able to access the services that you need now, even to get a, a booster jab, for example, it's much easier if, if you're able to do things online. And sure. what do you think we can do as a society, but also yourselves as, as, a, as a leading company to try and close that gap? I think, so things have moved on a lot. So access, so connectivity access, whether that's mobile or fixed, is pretty widespread now. So, you know, the vast majority of the population can access these services. Your point is right, which is the ability to be able to go online and book your vaccination or to go online and find a job, that's the bit that's harder. And there are a number of really important initiatives um, with big organisations working alongside government. So, for example, uh, we piloted actually here in, in Salford and then in Greater Manchester, 
a pilot with um, the Department of Work and Pensions um, to give people free broadband for six months if they were looking for jobs. Um, started in very, very tiny, actually started here. And then just recently, the DWP have rolled that out nationally. So that's a really important piece that if you're looking for a job, we can, you know, we with government can, can help people get that uh, support. The other piece, of course, is about recruitment and skills. And this is a thing that, you know, again, concerns us to some extent, because we are effectively a technology company. So we're looking for people that really understand engineering, coding, AI, etc. And those skills, of course, are, are very short. I mean, everybody that I come across these days in tech, in telco, I'm also on the board of Next, you know, all organisations struggle with software engineering, software development resource. And that really does start with education and skills. And I think there is a real need for companies to work with schools and universities and then to also work with government to say, well, what is the tech? What are the tech skills of the future? They're not quite as sort of truly technical as they used to be. You know, we all have, you know, agile working squads of people that problem solve. It's not deep technical coding necessarily. So the sort of thinking around how you make the most of the tech in all of our lives. I think we as organisations have a real responsibility to support with. And we do lots locally. We work with lots of the local schools in Salford, but also the universities. We have had great success with a thing called the Kickstarter programme, where, again, uh, alongside uh, DWP, we have a bunch of young people and old people who have been looking for jobs that wouldn't necessarily be able to work in not necessarily graduates or be able to step straight into a role um, we've had over 50 kickstarters come and join us uh, and a good number of them have, we've now employed full-time there's another great example of organizations working very regionally very locally so they don't do everything nationally immediately working alongside government and to trial things and to really get it going we've got some fantastic people and it's been really interesting because it sort of helps diversity as it much as much as it helps you know, individuals looking for skills. So I think those sorts of partnerships are really important. And we're trying to share as much as we can with employers locally here on that. Really interesting point, actually, about the ability to truly have an impact and affect change if you start focusing on a, a local or regional level. And then once these programmes, these pilots are most successful, then if needed, they, they can be rolled out because... Big brands often feel that they want to operate on that national level. Do you think that the move of Talk Talk from London to Salford has almost opened your eyes to the possibilities of starting smaller in some cases and building from there? For sure. Absolutely for sure. I mean, it's, it must be coming up for four years um, since we made the announcement that we were closing London and just for, for people that are listening in, I mean, we had at its peak, we had around 600 people working in London. We had a big office in just outside Notting Hill and then we had a, two big offices in the northwest. And really, for, for part of our simplification, it made much more sense to really go back to our roots, to our home, which was was the northwest. And, you know, we're now through that and you're, you're completely right we weren't that noisy when we when we sort of arrived in Salford, actually. We kept things relatively low-key. 
But more recently, we have been doing exactly what you described, which is really focusing on our local area. And obviously, Greater Manchester is significant. It's made up of 10 councils. And we're in Salford. We're not in Manchester. We're in Salford and Salford matters. Uh, And that's been really important to us. We've been developing lots and lots of jobs here, frontline jobs, so contact centres. We've moved lots of our outsourced uh, contact centre resource from South Africa and from the Philippines to here in this building in Salford uh, and actually just down the road in Salford. Uh, I've already talked about the engineering and software capability, which we're investing in Salford. So, yes. And then some of these trials that we've worked on alongside government They really work when you've got really passionate individuals on the ground wanting to make them work. This sort of imposed national, and by the way, we are three countries effectively, this sort of, you know, the Scotland, Wales, England, Northern Ireland piece. You know, we really feel that very strongly, that people have their different identities locally, and it's really important to embrace that. The other thing, of course, that's happening in our sector is people are rolling out full fibre, so fibre to the premise. Fibre is a massively overused word in our sector, but what that really means is brand new fibre going directly to your door to give you a thousand meg, so a gig speed. And the old days of the hundred year old copper lines, they're going to be switched off. So it's a bit like the sort of analog to digital TV revolution that we all went through. We're going through exactly the same thing. And of course, those things are very regional because you can't cover the whole of the UK immediately you go region by region. So I do think it is a much more a much more effective way of getting momentum on whatever you're doing, skills, selling broadband, you know, employing people, all those sorts of things, much more effective regionally. And you talk about those, those speeds and that they sound incredible, but casting minds back, it was impossible to imagine you know, even 10 years ago that um, people would be consuming Netflix, Amazon Prime, streaming, gaming in the same way they are now. When you're talking about the the, the kind of speeds that full fiber to the home can deliver, makes me think about what I've been reading recently and not not fully understanding, I must concede, uh, but the possibilities of, of VR, AR, the metaverse. How much time do, do you spend thinking about what's coming down the line, as well as focusing on what you have to deliver today? I think, you know, our major job and one of the things I've been doing in the last five years is simplifying what our major job is, uh, is to be real experts in fixed connectivity for businesses and, and consumers and make that as fast and efficient as possible. So I guess in answer to your question, we let Facebook worry about Meta. We let, you know, the app developers worry about what you're going to do across the Internet and across the connectivity Our job is to make sure it's fit for purpose, future proof and as fast as we could possibly make it. And as I've already described, to really fix the nation's Wi-Fi, because in the end, you can have a metaverse, you can have, you know, all this very, very sophisticated and developed AI. You know, even Microsoft Teams is developing an AI version of Teams. It only works if you've got uncontended bandwidth. And so, you know, whilst today you probably, Mark, don't need a thousand meg inside your home, in the course of, we already talked about the numbers of connected devices, in the course of the next five years, that is going to radically change. Mm. And there will be applications using AI, et cetera, more and more video content and more sophisticated video content, et cetera, that mean that that connectivity drive is going to be even more needed than perhaps that we see it today. But we're very clear on our job. 
it's to connect as many people as we can to these fast fiber lines. Um, and I think it is, you know, there is, it is interesting and it's, it is quite technical and quite geeky telco, but you know, that, that sort of revolution for full fiber is properly here. You know, the BT have passed, I think it is 6 million, over 6 million homes now. You know, you can see it really rolling out very, very quickly. And, you know, the UK has already always had low penetration of full fibre. And that now finally is really, really changing um, and changing for the better. So you're delivering the speed to the home. I'm interested in the, in the fix your Wi-Fi piece. So is that almost uh, beholden on your customer to make sure that they have the latest router from you that their in-home setup is right because of course a lot of us don't fully understand it all so no. do you help us fix our wi-fi or do you kind of are you able to do that almost remotely there's two things first of all it's do you have a full fiber line into your home and the builders are building fast uh, so that's that's the first thing and when you're choosing fast internet you want to make sure that you have something that is what's called fiber to the premise full fiber and actually we're working with government with all of the rest of all of all of my peers to really try and you know unpack what all of this means because it's full of acronyms and the word fiber is overused so first of all is it a true fiber to the premise line and the second thing is is are you going to provide a that can provide the right sort of wi-fi for you we we did a partnership last year with amazon Aero where with our fiber comes a, a really extraordinary mesh Wi-Fi service. What that basically means is it can it can connect at the same speeds all around the home, as many devices as you want, through as many rooms as you want. And that's really transformational, actually. And Amazon didn't partner with anybody else in the UK on that. They bought a US business called Eero that provides these services. So we're very much sort of partnering with some of these big brands to be able to make sure, in the case of Eero, Amazon Eero, that we can fix Wi-Fi. We've done a very similar thing with Netflix, actually, where customers want Netflix on their bill. And we, uh, we launched a partnership with them just before Christmas, where for the first time in the UK, you don't need a set-top box. So effectively, it's box-free. So again, very simple. You need really fast internet and a fantastic Netflix subscription. Frankly, that's all you need. So there's some very interesting developments, I think, coming down the line, but we're clear on what our job is. You mentioned uh, just earlier about the importance of passionate people and uh, how proud you are to be part of the community in Salford. There's no one more passionate, of course, than Gary Neville, and I know you're a, a supporter of, of, of the club. How is the partnership with Salford City? It's good. I'm going tomorrow night, in fact. Going tomorrow night to Salford. It's great, actually. I mean, it's part of our investment in the local community. Yeah. But we have full shirt sponsorship. Gary and all the guys are very, very supportive. So I think it's, it's going to be good fun. In terms of that kind of battle for talent that you mentioned earlier, I guess you're competing with you know everyone from you know, Google, Facebook, you mentioned, and, and all the major employers in, in the Northwest. What do you think it is about TalkTalk Talk that keeps employees loyal? Because you know, I'm obviously still connected to a, a number of folks uh, we used to work with. I'm always so pleased to see that you've got people who've been in your business for you know, 10, 20 years. Yeah, I think, you know, we we try very, very hard to protect our culture. And I think, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough, we're lucky enough to have the most wonderful Talk Talk alumni. And I think 
there is still a spirit in the organization that is can do it's entrepreneurial at its heart but it's particularly kind and that, and in fact we've just um, refreshed our values and there's three we care we challenge we commit and that's it and I think that really for, for me crystallizes what it's like to work here which is which is we do care we do look after each other we've seen it through the pandemic you know even through the process of of closing London I think less than 10% actually um, relocated but we gave everybody huge amounts of notice um, and as I say, I'm very proud that they are our wonderful alumni. At the same time, we've invested now, well, I guess it's four or five hundred brand new jobs here. We're constantly recruiting new people at all levels through the organisation. And it really is just making sure that we keep that very can-do, very accepting, very accessible culture. And I'm very determined that we do. Uh, and I think we had it when we started all those years ago. We definitely had it in our London office. And, you know, the home that we've created here in Salford, we've got it again. And people have a lot of fun. You know, there is, we've, we, we started the office here in Salford in a fully flexible way. So we had all the team's capability, et cetera. And I'm so glad we did because it meant that we were very quickly able to move everybody to working from home pretty much. But we are, offer, we are operating 24-7. We're national critical infrastructure defined, all, all four ISPs are. And so we had people working all the way through the pandemic. And then we've seen some wonderful things as people have started to come back within the rules. We've got people back in here, but I really don't see us being five days a week, nine to five in the office. Quite the opposite. I think it will be fully hybrid forever. And of course, a couple of years ago now, coming up to when this all initially began. You know, as a leader, and of course, back then, of course, none of us knew it would, be, it would take quite so long before we could begin to see the end of it. But as a leader, how did you approach that time of huge uncertainty for, for all of your teams? And how did you help them navigate through it? I think, I mean, first of all, I was incredibly proud of the team and it was that real classic talk, talk spirit. And I think collectively everyone just rose to the challenge and then it became relatively normal. So, you know, but thank goodness for the connectivity, really. I mean, we we talked to each other more regularly than we ever did before. You know, we would all do daily, daily virtual stand ups to check in with everybody. We were very careful to make sure if we hadn't heard from, from colleagues we found out what was up and what was going on. I think it did put a huge sort of pressure and challenge on all leaders and all managers because it was just a sort of ambiguity around it that was hard. And we were in a business, we didn't furlough anyone. We were in a business that literally had to keep running and had to keep the nation connected. So we were different to lots of other organisations, but everyone stepped up and really worked hard. And I think you know, one of the good things about it, and this is not just true of Talk Talk, it's true of BT, Sky, Virgin, we all did well. We all did well in terms of managing the connectivity increases and the internet as in the UK held up, thank, thank goodness. And one of the reasons for that is some of the products and services that we've all been offering for years, this thing called Fibre to the Cabinet. So that was good. And then I think you see the best of people don't you, in the face of adversity. I think towards the end of last year with the chopping and changing of rules, Omicron, et cetera, it became tiresome and I think all of us can see fatigue and people are just done with it bored of it as much as anything else and I think you know learning to understand what a post-covid working environment is like and a post-covid UK is like is going to be interesting and I think 
you know, there will be fallout. And it's just it's just the language that we all now is now so commonplace that previously would have been so terrifying. Things like lockdown, pandemic, you know, it's a different way for people. And I think you still we still do find there are lots of people that are really frightened. And there are lots of other people that are so bored of it. They just they just want it behind us. So I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks and months. But I think we feel tremendously optimistic, I have to say, as we look forward. And I think the Northwest feels optimistic. Oh, there's lots to do. And my other hat is, I think you know, is I chair Crisis, the homeless charity. I've done that for just over a year. And I do worry, we do worry about the sort of divide that exists right across the UK. It's not a Northwest thing. It's right across the UK. And I think trying to work hard to understand that and whatever levelling up ends up being, I think white paper is due the next few days or weeks, certainly. I think it really matters. And I think it's an important theme for all of us. And I think employers have a big role to play in that. And, and we certainly see it on the ground here in the Northwest. Uh, but no, no shortage of things to do. <laughs> How are you finding collaboration? Because um, TalkTalk has always been a big investor in its brand. And you've always uh, been very close to marketing and the creative process and, and working with your you know, fantastic agency partners and, and the team you have there in-house. In we hear a lot about creativity suffering to some extent when people are not able to collaborate face-to-face. What's your view on that? Uh, I think it makes a, a huge difference. I think it's very, very hard to be completely absent face-to-face. Um, we've had some of our most inspiring creative sessions back face-to-face. That said, you know, creativity and creative marketing and some of the most innovative sort of media planning back to regional it can happen very well at home you know if you think about media planners of old tend to be data scientists now and data scientists need to be pouring over the data now they do then need to come together and and all you know chat and, and brainstorm what that what it means and what the findings are so I think you know, I think there should be no reason why hybrid working can't be a great stimulator of innovative, you know, creative content production. And as we've already talked about, some of the best things we've worked on have been really recently through the pandemic. We have our agency partners with us here in Salford. So they have a little satellite office, a fantastic uh, in-house team. As we know, the sort of creative disciplines merge between data analytics, what we used to know as PR, corporate social responsibility, and even, you know, old-fashioned advertising. Those those skill sets are really blurred now. You know, the team are doing some really interesting things around how we get the employer brand out on our social media channels and vice versa. You know, and the closeness with which customer NPS meets employee NPS is well proven. If you can really prove that you have happy, contented employees, that should translate across to customer. And I think the more of those things come together, that's what the really sort of innovative organisations are doing. And, and we're certainly trying very hard on. Mm. And how are things looking? We should talk about this as, as parents. How are things looking now in a world of online safety? In some ways, it seems to be more daunting than ever, even though, of course, there are many more kind of ways of, of, of securing things for your family than in the past but of course the headlines don't go away and, and as a parent the worries don't go away so w- what's the current state of play do you think 
I mean, I think, you know, from, from my point of view, I think it is an enormous, it remains an enormous challenge and problem. But I think it's one that's here to stay. And I think the other piece to remember in all of the balance in the argument is important because the internet gives huge opportunity and access to learning and privilege on skills and those sorts of things that perhaps wouldn't have been there otherwise. I think as, as with anything in parenting, you know, I've now got my oldest son is going to be 19 on Thursday and the other one's going to be 17 in two or three weeks. You know, you're with parenting it's about choice it's about rules it's about you know boundaries and it's about talking to them and I think I think some of these things that are very frightening affect parents with slightly younger children than mine and I think they're really there but I think as with ever it is about just understanding what you're doing and what they're doing as much as you possibly can and none of us always get it right by any means I think social media companies need to do lots more I think ISPs do a do a pretty good job. Um, as you know, Mark, we were sort of pioneers in creating Internet Matters. And that's still, you know, going extremely well. We have Google who are partners. We have the BBC that are partners. We have all the major ISPs. There's still a real need. And it's to be effectively a conduit of education for parents and for schools to really understand how best to help children through this minefield. Um, but it is difficult and it needs constant focus. But there's enormous opportunity that comes from that as well. So, Tristia, tell us about your hunch. Well, good question. I already got there earlier, Mark. So my hunch, I think, you know, as I think about the huge opportunity of, of connectivity, we are now finally switching off old copper lines. Finally, internet broadband is a proper utility. And I think the I think the exciting thing is what becomes of the smart home. I think having connectivity being there to manage, you know, even sort of green energy and electric vehicles, those sorts of things, how you manage power supply, those are the things that are really exciting and innovative. I think people are changing the way they view content, the way they watch television, the way they game. I mean, it is so fast. And I think, you know, I certainly feel very lucky to be right at the centre of that. My other hunch, I think, and we've talked about it a lot here, Mark, I think this real focus on the hyper-local, on being brilliant locally is something we can all learn from professionally, personally, you know, supporting homelessness is a great example of that, or indeed thinking about you know, connectivity or skills and investment in schools. I think the hyper-local is a, is a territory that's very interesting over the coming weeks as a, as a big employer and as a mum and as a chair of a charity. So thank you to Tristia Harrison, CEO of Talk Talk Group on the board at Next, great supporter of charities like Crisis and the holder of perhaps the most coveted accolade of best boss I've ever had, Thank you for being with us. We've had a really fun time with you. It's my great pleasure, Mark. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Follow me, Mark Schmid, or our company, Simmons & Schmid, on LinkedIn or Twitter for news of our next episode.